All right, well, um, this morning we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk, so if you want to turn to the book of Habakkuk, we're going to be reading the first uh, five verses, that's where we're going to be at, um, and we're going to be looking at um, questioning God, okay, Cause, so there's many times in our life uh, as we're going throughout circumstances or things that happen to us, and we don't understand what's going on, okay, whether it's just like stuff going on around us or stuff people's doing to us or like the actual people around us. Um, you know, for me, you know, math, you know, I don't understand that. Uh, but in all seriousness, there's just things that happen to us and we don't understand. And this guy Habakkuk is going through that. That exact thing is what he's going through. And we're going to look at it uh, because we're going to see how he responds to it. Because you can question God in a right way or you can question God in a wrong way. So we're going to look at how he questions God. And then we're going to look at God's response, see uh, a, little about, a little bit about who God is uh, so we can understand better Um, how to respond, really, when we don't understand things. So look at it with me. It's verse 1 of Habakkuk chapter 1. It says, The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Cause me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contentions arise. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I'm doing something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. There's a guy by the name of uh, John Milton. And this is a quote by him. He says, when we speak of knowing God, it must be understood with reference to man's limited powers of comprehension. God, as he really is, is far beyond man's imagination, let alone his understanding. God has revealed only so much of himself as our minds can conceive and the weakness of our nature can bear. Okay, God, we cannot completely understand because he is God by nature. And we know this and we understand this. But because of that, because God is so great and God is so awesome, Sometimes we don't understand what's going on in our life. And this is where Habakkuk is. Now, before we really uh, dive into the text, I want to get some history, some context um, of Habakkuk, where he's at, what he's doing. Because in order to understand what he's asking God here in the first four verses and how God responds, we need to understand where he's at. Like what's going on around this guy. So Habakkuk, we don't know a lot about him as as a man, as a person. We know that he wrote this book. Okay, and I mean, that's pretty much it, okay? But we have a pretty good idea of when he wrote, okay? We have a pretty good idea of when he wrote. Uh, we think that he wrote somewhere uh, between 650 and 609, okay? So I have, a, I have a little, it's a little timeline. It's not really timeline, but a little thing showing you times. Okay, these are kings of Judah, and Habakkuk was to Judah, okay? These are kings of Judah. So you got Manasseh, that's 697 to 643, Ammon, who was his son, he reigned for a couple years. Then Josiah. If you guys remember anything about Josiah, he's one of the greatest kings in Judah's history. He turned the people back to the Lord. He tore down all the idols. He ripped them all down, turned everybody back to God. And he started doing that, by the way, at age 16. Okay? He started turning people back to God. And it, I mean, it was great. It was one of the greatest times, I think, in Judah's history because of all the evil that was happening. And then he, you know, he turned it around. Then you have Jehoiahaz. He barely reigned. I mean, you can barely even, it was just in that year, 609. And then Jehoiakim, who was also an evil king, he, wrote, he reigned from 609 to 598. But the Babylonian Empire 
or what Habakkuk calls the Chaldeans, they actually invaded in 605 and took Judah out for the first deportation, right? So this is when we think like Daniel was taken out and stuff. So that first deportation happened in 605. So Jehoiakim only reigned in Judah for like, you know, a few years. And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar let him continue reigning um, after that. But we think that Habakkuk was written sometime between 650 and 609. Okay, some people say he wrote during Jehoiakim's reign, because it was evil, and we'll talk about it in a second. Um, but I actually think he was, he was writing in Manasseh, maybe Ammon's reign, uh, because of what he says here. Now, the, the reason that we can get this is, first off, if you look through 1 through 4, he's talking about all this strife and stuff. And then if you go on, which we're not going to read it, but if you go on to like verse 6, God says that he's going to send the Chaldeans. So the Babylonians or Chaldeans, they haven't come yet. So when he's saying that he's surrounded by wickedness, and um, that it, justice is ignored, there's no law, all this stuff. He's talking about the people of Judah. Okay, he's talking about his own people. He's not talking about a, a foreign nation coming in there. They haven't, been, um, they haven't been taken over. Judah hasn't been taken over yet. Okay? Northern Israel has, but Judah hasn't. So he's not talking about foreign people. He's talking about his own people. The people of Judah are being wicked. Now, the reason, part of the reason I think it's Manasseh and Ammon's reign when he wrote this is because of how evil they were. We're going to look at it. But another reason is in verse 2, he says, how long, O Lord? So it's been a while. Like it's been a while. Habakkuk's been in this situation for a while. It's not like it's just happening. It's just starting. That's part of the reason why I think Manasseh and Ammon's reign. 50 years was horrible. It was horrible 50 years for Judah. Look at this. This is 2 Kings chapter 21. I just pulled a couple different verses out to show you. This is Manasseh's reign. Okay, in verse 6, he said, he made his sons to pass through the fire and practice witchcraft, use divination, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. When he says that his uh, son passed through the fire, that's child sacrifice. Okay, he, he killed his son, offered him in the fire to a god named Moloch. Okay, this is a king of Judah. Okay, that's evil. That is evil at its height. Look at verse 11. Because Manasseh, king of Judah, had done these abominations, having done wickedly more than all the Amorites did who were before him. He was more wicked than the Amorites that were in the land that God sent people to destroy, right? Then verse 16, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. Besides the sin which he made Judah sin in doing all the evil in the sight of the Lord, Manasseh was so evil as said of him that he filled the streets of Judah with blood. He filled Jerusalem with blood. Okay, that's evil. It's wickedness. It is, I mean, it's violence. It's horrible, right? This is, this is Manasseh's reign. He reigned for like 40 years. Okay, then his son, who only reigned for two years, it says about him in 2 Kings, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, done. Okay, and it continues on there, but he was just like his father. So this is a very, very wicked and evil time for Judah, Okay, so as we're looking at Habakkuk, that's really important because we see what situation and what circumstances he's in. Okay, if you look, um, if you look over at 2-1, okay, um, it kind of mentions that um, he's going to go answer and give an answer to people. He's going to keep watching. He's going to run and give an answer. Um, so it's him and a group of righteous people, okay, and, they're, and he's, the, he's a spoke, the spokesman, right? So he's coming to God, and he's saying... God, I don't understand all this that's going on because my own people are wicked. And they're so wicked that we're surrounded by wickedness and violence. Okay, and if you lived in a time when your king 
was sacrificing his kids to idols, building idols and promoting the worship of false god, being violent to the point where he said that he fills the streets with blood. Like, if you're in that situation, like, I mean, if I'm in that situation, I'm going to be saying, God, what, what's going on? Why is this happening? Okay, but as we get going, again, in context here, flip over. I Actually, I have it on the screen too, but you can flip over there. It's uh, verses 12 and 13 of the same chapter, chapter 1. I want you to look at these two verses because Habakkuk is not questioning God in a prideful way. He's not questioning God in a wrong way, I don't think. I think he's questioning God in a right way. Okay, if you look at these, it says, you are, not, are, are you not from everlasting, O Lord God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, them being the, the Chaldeans or Babylonian. Establish them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. So what's he doing here? Okay, he's not coming to God and saying, God, I am righteous, and my people are right. This group of people is righteous. We are righteous. Why are you doing this to me? He says, no, God, you know what you're doing. I understand that you are God, and I can't understand everything, okay? But you are from everlasting, everlasting. You are my Holy One. And then he says, we will not die. What is he saying? We will not die. Well, he knows. Habakkuk knows the promises, he knows that a Messiah has been promised and that there's going to be a king sitting on the throne of David forever. He knows that. So what does he say? We're not going to die. We're, I know we're not going to die, God. You've promised this and I know you're a promise keeper. So we're not going to die. Okay, he knows, um, he knows who God is even though he doesn't understand what God's doing. This is a little bit different than like, uh, if you guys remember Job. Okay, Job, he was, he was really good. He was this righteous man. All this stuff comes and happens to him. And then uh, he, he does really good. And he's like, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, right? But then as time goes on, uh, it gets to a point where Job is like, you know what? I'm righteous. You know, I'm, I'm a good guy. And he was. He says, I'm a good guy. God, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me? And that's different than what Habakkuk's asking. One is coming from pride. And if you remember right, God answers Job rather harshly right? Same thing with uh, Mary and Zacharias. We just got done with Christmas. So uh, this is Luke 1. This is Mary. Okay, Gabriel comes to Mary. She, uh, he tells her that she's going to have a son. She says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Okay, and Gabriel tells her how it's going to be since she's a virgin. Okay, then Zacharias, okay, he and Gabriel, same Gabriel, he comes to Zacharias and he says, you're going to have a son. What does Zacharias say? He doesn't say, no, no, I'm not. He basically, I mean, if you look at it, uh, and it's right there in Luke 1, you can look at it. He says almost the same thing. He says, basically, how do I know this is going to happen since I'm old? And then he's struck mute. He's not allowed to talk anymore until John is born. Why? Because one was questioning God with the right heart attitude and humility, trusting God, but not understanding. And one was questioning God out of pride, he didn't understand, and he didn't believe God. And that's the difference, and that's what we're going to look at today because I think Habakkuk is a great example of somebody that even though he has, he's in the worst spot, okay, he's in the worst spot you could be in, surrounded by all this stuff, yet he's still humble, and he still trusts God, and as we'll see, he never really understands. He never really gets it, but he still trusts God, and we're going to look at that and we're going to see it. And hopefully we can have that attitude when things come along for us. So the first thing we're going to look at, we're going to look at verse 1 and 2 first. 
Okay, we're going to talk about God's timing. Okay, this is just a quote that I found in my life. Trust God's timing. It's better to wait for a while and have things fall into place than to rush and have things fall apart because God's timing is not our timing. We all know this, but it's really hard to remember this practically. Uh, there's this guy, his name was Matthew Wilkes, Mr. Wilkes. Okay, he lived back in the day, uh, but he was a part of the London Missionary Society, and part of his job was to interview the, the people that want to be missionaries. So like if I was wanting to be a missionary and I was in London, right, I'd, I'd go to this society and be like, hey, I want to be a missionary. He'd interview you. The board would decide if they would basically support you or send you out. Okay, does that make sense? So this guy, um, one time at one point uh, in his career, a young man came to the society and said, I want to be a missionary to India. I want to be a missionary to India. So they're like, good, okay, we need to set up this interview. So he talks with Wilkes, and he says, well, Wilkes says, hey, uh, I want to do this interview with you to make sure we're on the same page. Meet me at my office, 6 a.m. sharp. Don't be late. And so the young man, several days later when the time comes, he he goes in, he gets there 10 minutes before because he, you know, if you're on time, you're late, right? So he gets there 10 minutes before, and he's waiting for Mr. Wilkes. Well, Mr. Wilkes doesn't come out at six o'clock, and, you know, the young man's like, okay, well, you wanted me to be on time, right? But you're not even on time. And so he doesn't come out on time. And then five minutes passes, and the young man's kind of like, is this guy going to show up? I don't Like, where's he at? And then 10 minutes pass, and, and a long time passes, and this young man's like, I don't know where this guy is. But finally, Mr. Wilkes comes out, and he says, okay, now I'm ready to see you. Okay, it's been, he's, he made him wait forever. Okay, when he gets in there, he, he asks him, you know, why do you want to be a missionary? The young man gave a good, you know, a good answer. And then the, uh, the man, the interviewer, Matthew Wilkes, he decides uh, to say, I'm going to now test your intelligence to see, you know, if you can be a missionary. So he said, spell the word cat. Well, of course, the young guy's like, well, which Indian dialect do I need to use? You know, how, how do I need to do this to spell cat? Uh, but kind of out of just reflex, he says, C-A-T. And Mr. Wilkes is like, great. You know how to spell cat. That's good. Can you spell dog? And he's like, yeah, D-O-G. So Mr. Wilkes is like, good job. You, you passed that part. Now can you tell me what two times two is? He answered that right. Okay? And then Mr. Wilkes is like, well, good job. The interview's done. And the guy's like, you made me wait all this time. You asked me like four questions, you know, and, but he leaves. He doesn't say anything. He leaves. He does good. Uh, he doesn't get on to Mr. Wilkes. But later on, Mr. Wilkes stands before the board, okay? So the society, they have a board, and they say, they ask Mr. Wilkes, is this young man ready to be a missionary? And Mr. Wilkes says, yeah, I think he is. I tested his discipline by making him get up early in the morning. I tested his patience by making him wait. And I tested his humility by insulting his intelligence. And, I, and he passed all three. Okay? And so the reason that I share that story is a lot of times we're the young man and God is Mr. Wilkes. Because when you're sitting there in the seat waiting and waiting and waiting, you don't understand the timing. Like you don't get it. And God's timing is not our timing. Mr. Wilkes had a plan. He knew what was going on, and he had a reason for being late. He had a reason for calling him in late. He had a reason for all the things that he did. But that timing didn't make sense to the young man, and sometimes for us it doesn't make sense. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2 again. 
It says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you do not hear? I cry to you violence, yet you do not save. Here's the deal, guys. Habakkuk doesn't just pray and God answers him right away. He says, how long? He's been waiting for God. He's been waiting. He didn't just get an answer right away. Okay, God's timing is not our timing. Habakkuk here is feeling like, man, why, why is God not answering me? How long, O oh Lord? How long will I call for help? I, I just made a, a PowerPoint or a slide with a few names on it of some heroes of the faith that had to wait. Okay, pretty much everybody had to wait. Okay, Moses, he waited 80 years before he led people out of Israel. Okay, David, he waited while he was running from Saul. That was hard. Abraham waited for a son for a long time, then got a son. But he never actually, if you read Hebrews, he never actually saw the promises come true that God promised him because they're still to come true. All right, so he waited for a long time. Adam and Eve, they never saw the Messiah that was promised to him in Genesis 3.15. Think about being in Adam's spot or, or Eve's spot. You'd be like, okay, God, you're promising to crush the head of the serpent. Do it. Like right now, right? I mean, crush it right now, God. Right, he promises them, but they have to wait. They never even saw it. They never even saw Messiah. If I was Adam, I'd be like, do it now, God. That's, that's not my timing. That's God's timing, right? Uh, Noah, he waited for the rain, right? He waited for the rain. Paul, he waited three years. I don't know if you guys know this, but he waited three years to go into Jerusalem after his conversion. So he went off to like Arabia and Damascus for three years before actually going to Jerusalem and starting like his ministry. We always, when we read the Bible, it's all so narrative. We just think like, oh, it's just happening, happening, happening. But I mean, Paul didn't go right into ministry after the Damascus road and all that. Everybody has to wait. I like Moses a lot um, on this one. Because 80 years, like, that's how long I'm going to probably, like, live if I'm lucky. But he had to wait that long, okay, before he even started. If you read Hebrews, okay, and go look at it, it says that Moses' parents actually knew that Moses was a special child. The word is beautiful there. It actually means special. They knew that Moses was, had plans, like God had plans for Moses. And I think they knew, and he for sure knew, that he was supposed to lead them out. Okay, so think about if you're in Moses' spot. Okay, you are the son of Pharaoh, essentially, or one of the sons of Pharaoh, right, of Egypt. How perfect. God couldn't have planned it any better. He made me the son of Pharaoh so that I can lead these people out. And then when he's 40 years old, he's like, this is the perfect time. I'm going to lead my people out. What happens? He has to run away. He has to run away to the desert for 40 years. He has to run away to the desert for 40 years and 10 sheep. And if I was in that spot, I'd be like, God, that does not make sense. That timing does not make sense. I was in the perfect spot. It was the perfect time for me to lead the people of Israel out. And you made me wait 40 more years. And I think, uh, you guys can go study this on your own, but I think that's kind of why he, he didn't really want to go back. Because he thought his time was back then when he should have gone. Right? And then he has to wait 40 more years. God's timing is not our timing. And this happens to us all the time. How many times with like an illness or a heartache or situations or circumstances or trials or things in our life where we just say, God, how long are you going to make me go through this? Or how long is this going to be going on? We all go through that. Okay, we all do. Because God's timing is not our timing. I love this verse. It's 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
So what Peter's saying here, he's, he's saying when he says come to repentance, he's saying that he wants everybody to, that word is change your mind. So he wants everybody to change their mind about who the Messiah is, put their faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's what he's saying, okay? And so he's saying, hey, God isn't slow. You, me, we think he's slow maybe, but he's not slow. Why? Because his timing is different than ours. He's waiting because he wants everybody, he wants everybody to put their faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. He doesn't just want some, he wants everybody, so he's waiting. His timing is not our timing. It's not, okay? And it's a good thing, too, because our timing would be way off, or mine would be at least. Whenever we're in these situations where we're waiting, okay, because we're going to be in them, let's not accuse God, okay? Let's trust Him. Let's go to God from a place of trust. And by the way, side note, God never tells Habakkuk how long he has to wait. Okay? God never tells Habakkuk how long he's going to have to wait, which is interesting because I would really want to know, but he didn't ever tell him. And we're going to see at the end, Habakkuk still trusts him. It's pretty cool. Okay, so God's timing, not our timing. That's verse, verse two there. Let's look at verse three and four. We're going to talk about God's planning. Okay, God's planning. God plans. If you don't know, God has a plan and those plans are perfect. So let's look at it. Look at verse three. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contentions arise. Therefore, the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Now, this is, three and four is, is really Habakkuk's plan. It's what Habakkuk thinks, because he's, he's asking God, like, why are things going this way? Because this isn't the way it should be going, right? Say, so, six, really, verses six through 11 and then later on in chapter 2, verse 2 through the end of the chapter, God gives his answer and his plan. But in verse 3 and 4, we see that Habakkuk does not understand God's plan. He doesn't get what's going on around him. Okay, and if we remember, he's in a very evil situation. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, you guys probably know that. But God's ways are higher than our ways, right? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Okay, God's plans are different than ours. Another uh, passage that I think of is James chapter 4. If you look at verse 13 through 16. He says that if a man, James says that if a man, you know, wants to go and do something, he shouldn't say, I'm going to go do this and that and this and make profit. Instead, he should say, the Lord, if the Lord wills, then I'll do that. Why? Because we don't know the future. We can't plan like, the way God can. So if the Lord wills, okay, if the Lord wills, these verses and this, passage right here, these two verses in Habakkuk remind us that sometimes we're in situations or we're in places or things are happening to us and we're just like, God, I don't get it. I, I don't understand what is going on. Okay, and, it, and it's a hard place to be, but God's plans aren't our plans. Okay, Habakkuk and his group, his group of righteous people, okay, they're surrounded by wickedness to a degree that you you and me probably don't really understand, okay? Like, it, it's never been said of anywhere that I lived that my king filled the streets with blood, you know? Like, that, that's just not something that I've had to deal with. And yet, um, we can take application from this because there's been many times in my life when I'll say, God, I do not understand what you're doing. Like, I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. So the, the, really the question, and by the way, verses 1 through 4, this is Habakkuk speaking. Verse 5 is God speaking. So up to this point, Habakkuk has no answer from God. 
God has not said anything. Okay, so he's like, how long am I going to have to wait? Look at all this stuff that's happening. And up to this point, obviously he's been waiting for a long time because it says, how long do I have to wait? Up to this point, he hasn't heard from God. He hasn't seen God's plan. He doesn't understand anything. He's completely in the dark. Okay, and sometimes we are too. Sometimes we're completely in the dark. Sometimes we pray, you know, have you ever prayed because you're in a situation, you say, God, I don't get it. What's going on? What's going on, God? And you feel like he's not answering you? You know, or you feel like, you know, God's not hearing me because I haven't heard an answer. I haven't heard a reply. I mean, that's the easy and natural thing to do for us. But it's believing a lie, right? And Habakkuk's in this spot. He's in this spot right now. Okay, we're in this exact position a lot. Okay, we got to remember that. I like that quote from Jennifer Hudson up there. We got to remember sometimes God makes better choices for us than we can make for ourselves if I could admit that, I'd say always God makes better choices for us than we can make for ourselves. Uh, but it's still a good quote. Okay, so we're, at this point, we realize God's timing isn't Habakkuk's timing. Okay, God's planning is not Habakkuk's plan. And he's in this spot that's, I mean, it's just hard. Okay, so what are we going to do when we're in his spot? Okay, when God hasn't answered us yet, when we don't know what's going on, are we going to accuse God out of pride? Okay, or are we not gonna, are we just gonna ignore everything godly and move on our own way? Or are we gonna go to God and trust? Is our hope gonna be placed on the on the person, on God Himself, rather than our circumstances? Okay, now, now let's look at verse five. Okay, we're gonna look at verse five, and then we're gonna kind of skim the rest of the, the book so we can kind of understand it a little bit better. But verse five is where God starts talking. We're gonna see God's awesomeness. Okay, we're gonna see God's awesomeness. Look at it. So Habakkuk asks all these questions. Verse 5, God says, Look among the nations, observe and be astonished. Wonder, because I'm doing something in your day you would not believe if you were told. So Habakkuk asks these questions, and God says, Habakkuk, you wouldn't even understand if I told you. You don't even know if I told you. You're not even going to get it. Okay, and if you go on and read, he says from 6 to 11 that the Chaldeans or the Babylonians are going to come invade and take over Judah, which, yeah, I wouldn't get that either. I'm like, God, me and the righteous people are here, and you're going to send people that are even more evil in to destroy us and destroy the, you know, the evil in Judah, but they're more wicked than we are. And that's what Habakkuk says in verses 12 through uh, 2, 1. He says, God, even though I trust you, I know we're not going to die. I know that you're from everlasting to everlasting. That doesn't make sense. You're sending in a wicked people to destroy wicked people. How does that even make sense, God? I mean, that's what he's asking. Okay, he's doing it through humility, I believe, and respect. But then God goes on, okay, in 2-2, all the way through the end of chapter 2. God basically says, well, don't worry, Habakkuk. I'm going to judge the Babylonians too. Okay, again, if I'm Habakkuk, that doesn't give me any comfort. I'm like, listen, I'm in a situation right now that's hard. And I don't know what's going on. And God's like, don't worry. The people that are going to come judge you, they're going to be judged too. And you're like, you know, thanks. Right? I mean, that doesn't give me much hope. Okay? If I'm basing my hope on the circumstances around me. Okay? If I'm basing my hope on the circumstances around me. Ultimately, verse 5, God's saying that you're not going to understand everything God is doing. God's saying, Habakkuk, you can't understand everything I'm doing. 
Okay, many times we wish God would tell us our plan, the plans that he has, but here God tells Habakkuk the plan and Habakkuk just still doesn't even get it. And that's probably what would happen to us most of the time too. It's like God tell me the plan. He tells me the plan. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that God, right? As we look at this though, I, I do want to mention, okay, because we're talking about God's awesomeness and his plan and his ways are right. There's a lot of people that would, that would kind of stop here and say, and I heard this just the other day, actually, I heard this, uh, a guy say this, but he said, you know, God's ultimate goal is self-glorification. He didn't say self-glorification. He said glorification of self, which makes it sound a little better. But he said the ultimate, uh, the ultimate goal of God is to glorify himself. Now, because of who God is, because he's, he's awesome and he's God, he will be glorified, right? We all know that. Okay, but does John 3.16 say, for God so wanted to glorify himself that he sent his son. First John 4.10, in this is glorification. Not that I glorify, you know, and I, but God demonstrates his own glorification that Christ died. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay. Everything will glorify God, no doubt. But God does stuff because he loves you and he loves me. That's why he sent Jesus. He didn't need to send Jesus to glorify himself. I mean, did he? He didn't need to send Jesus to glorify himself. He can do that without sending Jesus. He could have glorified himself by destroying us all. Do you ever think about why God created us? He knew we were going to sin because he loves us, which is unfathomable. Okay, but he does. He loves us. And the reason I say that is because if we go into thinking about God's awesomeness and how we can't understand him and his plans without understanding God's love, we're going to get a skewed perspective of who God is. And we're not, I mean, we're not going to want to trust him. I mean, if God doesn't love us, if God doesn't love me, there's no, I mean, (laughs) why would I, I mean, what's he going to, he's going to kill me, right? Or he's going to do whatever he wants with me. It doesn't matter. It's just whatever brings him glory, right? But he does. He loves me. That's why it's in his son. Okay, that's why that's important. So when God says to Habakkuk in verse 5, look among the nations, be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something today you wouldn't even believe if I told you. Habakkuk can trust God, and we'll see it in chapter 3 in a second. Habakkuk can trust God. Okay, he can put his hope in God because God loves Habakkuk. Right? God loves Habakkuk. So he can do that. He can put his hope and his trust in God. God's powerful enough to carry all this out. So in conclusion, okay, I'm going to start wrapping it up here. Uh, but oh, and we have trials in our life, okay? We do. And we have things that, that happen to us and we don't understand them. And sometimes it feels like God, like he's not answering. Like we're praying and praying and it feels like God's not answering or listening to us. Sometimes it feels like the devil's winning because there's evil and wickedness all around us and there's things going on that we know shouldn't be going on and we feel like the devil's winning. And sometimes we look around us and we just can't, we can't understand, we can't comprehend what's going on. Okay, sometimes this happens. And, and when this happens, we need to remember uh, a couple of things. First off, God's a planner. If you look at the whole book of Habakkuk, God has a plan. Okay, He does. He, he's going to judge Judah, okay? He's going to uh, send the Babylonians. Then he's going to judge Babylon, by the way, okay? There's going to be, uh, I mean, if you get into end times, there's going to be those seven world nations. Babylon's, uh, Babylon's one of them, okay? He, he's got this plan. He's got a plan. 
but he's also powerful enough to carry out that plan, okay? And we know that. Why? Well, number one, he did it. We can look back on history and see that he did exactly what he told Habakkuk he was going to do. And what he did, okay, was controlling nations, controlling the I mean, that's what he's doing here. So he's powerful enough to do it, okay? And he's a promise keeper. This goes with his love. He makes promises. He keeps them because he loves us, okay? Um, so what should we do, okay? What should we do? What's the, I, we said the impact for youth because we're called impact. So what's the impact in my own life? When we don't understand, go to God in trust. Go to God in trust. Our tendency, my tendency, is to not go to God at all, okay? Which would be like, okay, I don't understand these things. I, oh, I'm not going to pray about it. I'm not going to read the Bible because I just get more confused. So forget that. I'm just going to focus on this life, focus on what I got to do here and now, and I'm just going to get through it. Yeah, that's not right, okay? Not going to God is not right. Um, or we go to God with pride, okay? Maybe we don't outright admit, say like, God, this is your fault, or maybe we do. Uh, but a lot of times in the back of our mind, that's what's going on. We say, God, like, we come to God like Job, you know, and saying, God, I, I didn't do anything. Okay, by the way, Habakkuk and these people, it wasn't a self-inflicted uh, discipline of God here, okay? It was, uh, it was discipline from, for the entire nation of Judah, but these were righteous people. It wasn't self-inflicted. They didn't do anything, okay? So you could go to God and say, God, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Why are you doing this to me? And we got to be careful about that because that's what Job did, remember? And if you remember right, Job says, uh, Job says that to God. He says, God, what have I done? I'm righteous. What does God do? He says, gird up your loins like a man and I'll show you. He says, you answer me, I'll question you. He says, where were you when the foundation of the earth was laid, Job? Okay, I don't, I don't want God to come to me and say, tell me to gird up my loins like a man. Okay, if I'm honest. We want to come to God in humility. Okay, we want to come to God in humility. And, and the way that we do that, okay, the way that we do that as we're wrapping up here is by focusing, okay, and putting our hope on the person rather than the circumstances. Put our hope on, in God rather than our circumstances. Because what we do a lot of times, what I do a lot of times is say, well, I'm in a bad situation. Don't worry, I'll get through it. I'll get through it. I'm looking to the next thing. When I get through it, it'll be okay. That's putting my hope on my circumstances. Or, you know, you say, well, you know, this is horrible, but this circumstance over here is good. Or I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I'm, I'm looking towards my kids. You know, their life is going to be good. Or we put our hope in money. We say, you know, it's hard now, but one day, one day when I get that promotion, when I get that raise, you know, we put our hope in the things of the world, and that's not right, and that's not what Habakkuk does here. Okay, look at this. This is chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Okay, this is really important because after all of Habakkuk, after all of his questions, and after all the stuff that God answers, and Habakkuk's like, I still don't understand, this is what Habakkuk says. Okay, after he still doesn't understand anything, or he understands some, but not very much. Okay, look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the foal and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I 
will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet and make me walk on high places. After everything that Habakkuk went through and was currently going through, by the way, when he wrote this, and after getting answers from God that he didn't understand, after waiting forever, what felt like forever to even get an answer, he says this, you know, even if I don't know where my next meal is coming from, God, even if this, these Babylonians invade and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, even if my circumstances are horrible, what does he say in 18? I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in God of my salvation. And then he says that God is his strength. How is God his strength? If, he's, if, he, if his hope is set on circumstances, God isn't going to be his strength. The circumstances will be his strength. The circumstances give him hope. But if he's focused on God, who God is, what God is going to do because of who he is, then he can set his hope on God. And then in a hard circumstance, in a hard situation, in a time when you feel like there's no end, you and me and Habakkuk, we can all say, you know what? I'm going to exalt in the Lord. I'm going to trust him. Okay? I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation and God's going to be my strength. Okay, we can say that. We can. All of us can. But what we have to do is we have to put our hope in God and not in our circumstances that surround us. 